0: Welcome to Drinks with Defenders. I'm Addie B. Plate. And I'm Kayla Murphy.
1: We're two law school friends turned criminal defense attorneys
0: turned podcast hosts. We're here, in this space, because we now work in separate offices and miss collaborating with each other. We've been talking
1: about creating a podcast for years, where we talk about the complexities of the criminal justice system, the aspects of it that we grapple with, and the importance
0: of what we do. At the end of a long work week, we want to sit down, have a drink with each other, and talk about the rabbit holes of criminal defense, just like we always have. So let's get into it. oh she muted herself
1: okay sorry i'm back i was having some (laughs) issues what's up well let's see i have a new truly i haven't tried before the peach fizz it's a holiday limited edition
0: oh highly recommend did you get it in like a holiday pack or did it come solo?
1: Yeah, holiday pack. Ooh, I had to because there was a cranberry cheers, <laughs>
0: which was good as well. But yeah, peach <laughs> just gotta be my fave. What are you drinking? Oh man, so I have had admittedly kind of a week, and so I have a friend who gave me a bottle of Dunkel as it's my favorite beer. And originally, it was going to be like kind of a like commiseration beer because I just had kind of a tough week, but. I got a raise out of nowhere today, so it's kind of a celebration beer now. Hey, Hey, I haven't I haven't opened it yet, so this will be like. Also, I don't think I've ever opened a drink on the podcast. Like, I think I've always just pre-made my drink, and I swear opening a beer like bottle with one of those like wine openers that has the beer opener on top makes me feel like a child. Like I do. I don't know how to properly do it. I did it. But it's one of those things that I don't think I get my... To so like be a full adult watching myself. And so I'm pouring it. Park, what about you? What are you drinking?
2: I'm drinking tequila. <laughs> yeah, I'm drinking right now a very gringo tequila, hornitos straight from the bottle. Because that's <laughs> what you do um, in Mexico. They told me, they're like, Hey, man, just drink straight from the bottle. Don't take shots.
0: And that's what we do on this podcast. <laughs> that is such a classic move. I. It's time that somebody is just drinking something straight from the bottle. I'm glad it's tequila number one, and I'm glad it's not me. So... <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Stay tuned.
2: <laughs> Kayla, you True. look super like emo goth. This is like so <sighs> cool.
0: Thank you, you. Always look emo goth yeah. in person. In person, that's her vibe. (laughs) Thanks. It's, you know.
2: Do you jam My Chemical Romance? No. Okay.
1: Admittedly, no. Can I think of any chemical romance song?
0: Yes, you can.
1: Um, Addie, you got a raise?
0: I got a raise out of nowhere. Uh, Well, that's my news on... Well, let's jump into it. So I think that something that I want to make sure I also do when we talk on here, I feel like I'm pretty critical about the things that are hard in public defense. And I've always talked about how we need to fund public defenders and all of the issues. I think I've done maybe a poor job of like pointing out some of the positives in terms of um, compensation and things like that. I, you know, I'm fortunate in that the office that I chose to work for I had a pretty decent starting salary comparative to my other friends who went into public defense. That was a huge incentive for me to choose the office that I did. Um, also, you know, offsetting that with the cost of living in you know, the community that I live in. You know, I, live in a, I lived in an expensive community. I've since moved to have kind of cheaper rent. But um, yeah, I I found out in the middle of the workday today that myself and my colleagues got raises. I think they're... Um, trying to incentivize more people to want to join our office, and I think you know having more competitive salary and and it is a huge draw to that. And I think it's awesome that you know our boss and the other people that were involved in making that happen really advocated for paying the people that are currently on staff to also receive a raise. And so um, that was a, that was awesome, um and you know makes me feel a little bit more appreciated for the work that I do. I've gotten a couple of raises since I've been in my office. So, you know, I, I think that it's really important to have people at the top of your office, especially if you work in public defense that really advocate for the people that are in the office. And so um yeah, my raise was a byproduct of that of people appreciating the work that we do, realizing we need more of us and trying to pay the people who want to do the work more. So cheers to that. Um and to the people in my office. Yeah, cheers to to <laughs> that. I think it was, you know, a very well-deserved thing for all of my colleagues across the board. Yeah, Kayla. So what's your cheers of the day?
1: Well, first, I just have to apologize in advance because where I get the best internet in my house is where my dogs are. I think you can hear <laughs> Gus drinking right now. He's drinking some water. I love it. <laughs> so, yeah, sorry for the barking in the, the water. Yeah, you know, I've just been getting back into the swing of things. It takes a beat to get back into it you know,
0: getting back in the saddle.
1: Yeah. And just having the cases kind of start piling up a little bit. It's not overwhelming and I'm still, you know, feeling fine. Um, but I am remembering some of the, okay. Okay. Sorry. The water, it's just so, so much, so thirsty. Okay. Um, but yeah, just getting back into it. It's been a little bit, um, tricky sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm rambling. I was just going to bring up a couple of uh, things that had come up in my week that I kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on Addie to see if they were...
0: Ooh, yeah. You know,
1: just things that have kind of come up for you or like how you've navigated them. Okay. Getting back into negotiating. is hard. Right. Like, yeah, you struggle ever with just feeling like a bitch?
0: I think that... <laughs> I think I feel like a bitch all the time in this job and I, I struggle with that because I think I'm very much a... I want people to like me and then there's this balancing of like wanting my word and my character to be a certain way so that I feel like respected. But at the same time, if I don't have a firm stance on things, I don't want myself and by extension my client to be a taken advantage of. So that's kind of a tricky thing to thread the needle. I constantly complain to People in my life about that tension of feeling like people don't like me or I was a bitch. And my dad always says, I'm not doing this job to make any friends. And I think that that's really important to kind of keep in mind. I think the people that I have become friends with in this job appreciate when I'm, you know, standing my ground in terms of just non negotiables. But I think it's hard to like just not immediately judge yourself when you're not being as, you know, nice as you would like to be. I'm sorry that you're having to experience that because, you know, sometimes you just feel like a bitch. And I I think I, I don't know if I've shared it on the podcast, but I had a, I had a day a while ago where I felt like a bitch and I was just kind of struggling and people were being kind of nasty to me with the negotiating and this other problem in one of my cases. And I went to my boss and I was airing to her how much that was difficult for me. And she said, eventually they will respect you. But at first, they will hate you. Damn, And I think that that's how I have chosen to navigate that when people kind of get upset with me having to be firm, or do my job, that that's a reaction that eventually will turn into respect. I love that. That's really good advice.
1: That's a good reminder. Yeah. And it's just part of the gig, right? Like you, you have to be tough sometimes. You have to be really tough sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I feel like this is going to sound stupid, but it's harder for me almost when it's like a female prosecutor.
0: Yes. I feel that so much in in the, in the legal community, because I feel like I expect men to be dismissive of me and I expect them to just if I get upset them to think that I'm just being like emotional or sensitive, but like when a woman, like really riles me up. I'm just like, this is just not in the same code of how I am towards my girlfriends. And I just, you know, we are both people who've had to like, you know, I think that on the other side, they probably feel like they have like emotions that they're having to socially keep in check in terms of like, the expectations we have of women in, like, a cultural sense, right? Yeah. Or, like, a societal way. And when I feel like there's tension there, it makes me, like, emotional. Because I'm just like, why are you being this way? And I just feel extremely disrespected. And it's in a way that I don't expect to feel disrespected. Like, the only prosecutor that's ever made me cry was a woman. So, You know. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It so I'm sorry.
2: So it hits differently.
0: It hits different. Yeah. It's like it just kind of catches you off guard. You know what I mean? Because you're just like, oh, okay. And like then they'll like then, you know, the next thing you might be playing nice and you're like, oh, we're friends again. And like I don't know, with the women like with other women on the other side of opposing council, sometimes it's just that tension feels much more personal and I don't like it. I agree. I feel... I don't know, Kayla, if that's your experience.
1: Yeah, I feel that tension within myself a lot, because it's like, as a fellow woman in the law, I want to be on, you know, each other's side and to have a positive relationship. But unfortunately, I mean, at the end of the day, right, it's an adversarial system. And that's how it has to work. Right. It's just interesting, like how you can get along so well with some prosecutors and resolve cases so effectively and then just have such an opposite experience with somebody else. Yeah. Just different styles of prosecution, just like there are different styles of defense, I suppose.
0: I guess. I mean, it's just, yeah. And, you know, relationships, Like, it really takes the dynamic of, I don't know. I, I think something I struggle with is that I feel like if I'm too nice to a prosecutor to, like, foster the relationship for negotiations, I also feel kind of weird about that because they're not my friends. They're not my colleagues. They are opposing counsel. And yes, we have to, like, work cases in the same space and communicate, and that requires some sort of a dynamic. But they are not my friends. They are not my colleagues. So the relationship is very different. And so... That dynamic, I just I, I feel uncomfortable with, too. I haven't quite figured it out because it's like I understand that in order to you know have effective resolution and not have, you know really nasty trials and stuff that you have to have some sort of a dynamic there that's of, based on some sort of communication and mutual respect. But there's a level of disdain for one another within that dynamic. And so it's that's hard. <laughs> And That's such so, a just
1: strong word. That's so funny. But you I know mean, what I
0: mean? Yeah, and for maybe sure. The scene is, maybe the scene is heavy, but there's there's a layer of something where each side feels like they're right about something to some degree. And just, yeah, so.
1: I was just going to say that something I've been thinking about lately is how the prosecutor represents the community, right? Do they?
0: I mean, allegedly, supposedly. Apparently, they're supposed to... Don't they represent the government? I mean, I don't know if that's the same as representing the community. Interesting. I don't review them as representing the community. And maybe that's just, you know, a distinction that I have towards their work, but I don't view them as representing the community. I think that they oftentimes fall as they're like the protectors of the community, but I don't feel like they're the, the representatives of the community. And I feel that the only people that are the representatives of the community within the criminal legal system are juries. Juries are the only people that are representative of the community, in my opinion, in terms of who in the legal system represents the community. You have the government that's imposing law, the people that are, you know, I, I just don't view them as being the representatives of the community. I think they represent the state or an institution.
1: I don't think that I feel they, represent. Like they I think they think of themselves as representing the community,
0: though. That's what I'm saying. They think they do. And they, like, frame it as, like, we're the protectors of society. But their job is to represent the government.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, even if they were truly to embrace the concept of being a representative of the community, I think they oftentimes fail to appreciate that our clients are also members of the community. Right. You know?
0: Right. Right. And I, I don't know. It's funny that I you're just, bringing this up because I was thinking, go ahead. I cut you off. Go.
1: No, no. I was just going to say, I'm like, clearly I've been having a like a conflict with the prosecutor <laughs> this week, so that's why, like, I'm wanting to it's talk triggering. about this. It's triggering.
0: It's triggering, isn't it? Truly, um,
1: but I mean, ultimately, I, I she did see my way on one case, so I felt like I was able to make some progress.
0: That's good. Yeah, man. Yeah. What can you do? I, it just you know one foot in front of the other and just continue to. Even if you don't see eye to eye on cases, you have to keep just going back to them. And eventually, maybe the tide will turn a different direction in terms of the dynamic, but that takes time. Yeah. Unfortunately, for sure. like your clients' cases hang in the balance of that. I understand that. But it's funny that you bring this up because I was listening to, like on TikTok, the I've Had It podcast, like their little clips. And I don't know if you like know that podcast, but it's these two ladies and they basically just, about stuff that they've had it with <laughs> and it's like it's, it's like I've had it with like yoga instructors thinking that they're spiritual guiders and like stuff like that just or I've had it with whatever it may be and my thoughts on the week were, I've had it with prosecutors wanting to impose actual jail time for stuff that seems crazy to me yes um, <laughs> I've had it with simple like marijuana offenses being for cannabis if I'm being more um appropriate but in in Idaho the the statutes still say marijuana I've had it with like simple drug offenses in every sense of the case tripping people up like people out on um conditional release people on probation you know you dirty and then their case kind of comes to a, a head I've had it with that I think that's just I don't know how we're ever going to sort that problem out And I've had it with just having moments in court where you fundamentally do not agree with the decision that's being made. And you just have to, like, and I know I'm going to have to do it for the rest of my career, but you just have to sit there and be like strong and like, you know, hold it together. I've had it with that feeling. That feeling sucks. Where you're just like (sighs) sitting there shaking with rage and just having to just having to like take it like that feeling sucks so um so that's my that's my weekly recap honestly you know I'm sorry that you're having to get back into the swing of the frustration but you know I mean it's the good fight yeah it matters it's funny that we're talking about it because and we were talking about your outfit but my hat that I'm wearing (laughs) was like the most appropriate thing to put on and I got it from Um, our beloved KP who used to be with us on the podcast that says not above violence on it. Oh my god. (laughs) And it was just like this funny gift because I think she knows that like sometimes at the end of my workday it's just like I'm seeing red and I really feel like I'm not above violence which like of course I'm not gonna. Disclaimer, this is a legal joke. I'm not going to commit acts of violence, but sometimes I feel not like... Not
1: premeditated. It would be yes. a, a heat of the moment yes. situation for sure. It would for
0: be sure. a heart <laughs> defense for sure. So, I love it. <laughs> so yeah. Um, oh, gosh. I'm sorry.
1: No, it's it's okay. I mean, and, and hearing you two talk about, like, just people getting stuck in these cycles with, like, being on probation and then the UAs and getting violated. It's just hard. It's just ridiculous how much of a freaking cycle it is and just how over our freaking nation is. And it's not just people who are in jails and prisons, right? It's also people who are under community supervision. Like, it's just disgusting. Right. How they just try to make money off of poor
0: people. It's gross. We talked the other day, and I apologize for putting this on the podcast, but you, we were <laughs> in, on the phone and we were just talking about that there are cycles of the criminal legal system that are just, you know, merry-go-rounds due to financial situations, like driving without privileges charges, failure to carry insurance charges, like somebody loses their license, For whatever it may be. Sometimes it's child support issues, like outstanding child support obligations. Sometimes it's maybe from a past DUI, whatever it may be. And then their license gets revoked or suspended or whatever it may be. And then the reinstatement fees are extremely expensive. And these people have to go to work in order to like have a living or go to school or wherever they need to get sometimes they then have to you know do probation check-ins whatever they're needing to do and they have to drive because how else are they going to get to where they need to get and you know they of course they shouldn't drive but then they do and then they get it, it just is a cycle and then it just stacks on top of court fees and then reinstatement fees and it's just I don't know how to stop that cycle. And it's just like you go to court and I feel like the attitude is like, well, just get it reinstated and pay your fees. And it's like these people genuinely can't. And in our circumstances, it's like they can't afford to hire an attorney. So why do you think they can pay the however many hundreds, if not thousands of dollars sometimes that they have to pay in order to get ahead of the wheel again? Well, Addie, they should just take the bus or walk. Or you know, get a get a lift with with like get a fucking grip. It's right, it's like just really (laughs) ride your bike from like three (laughs) pounds away. Can I tune in here? Please, please.
2: Okay. So this is coming from the perspective of someone who's privileged, and I am well aware of my privilege. Like I know who I am in society. And to give a nod again to KP, a lot of that. Like acknowledgement has to do with conversations, deep, long, fucking deep conversations I've had with KP to realize, like, oh shit, like I actually have privilege.
0: Everyone on this call does. Like, Kayla, you and I also do. So, Clark, well point well taken. So, thanks for bringing it back to that grounding point.
2: Yeah, like, so okay, so we all have privilege here. And speaking from someone who has, and I'm using air quotes for those who are listening. Oh, oh. oh. Did you guys see that? I saw that. That's not the tequila. I thought you did that. Oh. Okay. Awesome. So,
1: listeners, there were balloons all Um, all
2: over the the Zoom call. It was incredible. When I did air quotes
0: (laughs) Balloons. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. God, He just does it every time.
2: Okay. Anyways, I'm going to put my hands down. so because take away the air quotes i don't like just air quote to have privilege i do have privilege in this country and in life because of who i am and how i identify and even as someone who lives in a state of privilege like i'm not like in a um an economical status that would consider me like rich you know like i'm i'm like kind of in the middle here. And I had to take an Uber the other day to work thinking that I was going to get a rental on the way home. Turns out the rental reservation was like an hour away from my job. So I couldn't make it in time to get the rental. So I had to take another Uber back to my house at night. And those two Ubers back to back, they weren't cheap. Yeah. And that's coming from someone who is living in a status of privilege. And so... I remember sitting at a specific light that I normally take in my own car to get home. And I was like, oh wow, like I'm spending like 80% more just going home, sitting at this light than I normally would. And then I had this moment of an epiphany where it was like, oh shit. But yet this is probably like I'm I'm complaining about 80% more to where someone who lives in this area, um, ignore that bubble. Um Someone in this area, probably because of their status, has to spend 200, 300, 800% more if they were to take an Uber. So it's like, I don't know, like it was a very humbling moment to think about. Like, if I'm complaining about how much a ride yeah. share is, then and, and, and every day I leave downtown Nashville, anytime I pass 515, 530, a bus stop. When I look over to my right, I predominantly see people who are of color and people who are in the brown and Black communities. Here I am stressing about trying to get home within 20 minutes. And I'm looking at them and I'm seeing like, Oh shit, they've been waiting on the bus for probably fucking 20 minutes. Yeah. And they're probably not going to see another bus for however long.
0: And I, and, and people's time also, I've, I've realized too in my line of work now that There's just so many frustrations I have with the way that money and time, like for people, you know, having to wait to take a bus, that's time that they, you know, isn't spent on the clock, isn't spent doing other things. And, and that's an expensive thing to then accommodate, just not, you know, the time commitments of public transportation is a lot. And then, you know, people, when they have to go to court for, if it's, you know, a case that has something to do with finances, they have to take a day off work to then go sit in court, and then they're not making money again. And it's just like all of these financial things have just are so apparent now. And it's just it's really frustrating when you go to court. And from my and I think Kaylee shared like the lens. It's like there's obviously a financial component that's pretty massive, um, especially if it's an indigent client, and It's being, like, narrated in this way of just, like, criminogenic thinking. You're not caring about the fact that you have no license and you're driving and you're being reckless. And if you don't have a license and you get in a car accident, then that becomes a huge liability to other people that you could crash into because you're not insured. And what if you harm the community? And it's, like, it it just is so—it's hard to, like, listen to that side of it when it's pretty obvious that, you know, for a lot of people— who are similarly situated to Clark, what you just stated and myself, it's like, oh, I'm like, you know, I could take an Uber and I'm mad about the cost of it, where it's like some people literally, I, I, I've come to a conclusion and like, this is said with so many disclaimers, but I genuinely realized, like, I think oftentimes people will drive drunk because they can't afford to take an Uber after they like go out or maybe they're like hanging out with their friends and they're like, Oh, like it's too expensive for me to take an Uber home. So I'll like drive home and maybe I don't think I'm that intoxicated. And then they get a DUI on the way home. And it's like decisions Hmm. that people make constantly, I think, have this monetary aspect to it. And I think people just like, are like, oh, I just like, it's a lapse because they're thinking like they can't afford something and then it, they end up in court. That's hard. And so I think Kayla, what I was saying is like, we were talking about that earlier this week. And that I think was also kind of a, a frustrating theme. It's like you go to court and they're just asked to throw money at, you know, a charge that they entire, a huge part of the underlying issue is money. And so it's like, okay, like cough up more money. It's like they don't have it, obviously. So that's difficult. I will just, I'll never understand it.
1: I won't either. My hope would be that. Prosecutors, because they're human beings, would use their discretion in these types of situations where it's clear that these crimes are a direct result of poverty. Yeah, you know, but that's just not not the case. Unfortunately, (laughs)
2: it's
1: very depressing.
0: It is very depressing.
1: There was another issue that I came across these past couple weeks, and I was curious as to like, if you get many of these types of cases and just like how Oregon handles
0: them, pretext stops. Let's talk about it. It's hard because the case law on pretext stops is kind of frustrating, right? Ours is too. Yeah. Well, and on the, and on the like, you know, national scale, I think it was, wasn't it the Ren case that was talking about if the stop the basis for the stop is reasonable for like an actual traffic offense that they can then investigate into other issues or something like that. And so anyways, I'm I'm probably jumping the gun.
1: I mean, my understanding of what pretext stops are, are basically when an officer wants to detain a person for an unlawful reason, right? Like maybe they have a hunch that they're dealing drugs because they're driving around a neighborhood that's known for drug deals. But the cop can't lawfully just stop this person because he has a hunch, right? He has to have some kind of lawful basis. And so a pretext stop is where cops want to detain somebody for an unlawful reason, but they fall back on a lawful reason in order to justify the stop. Right, For example, like not signaling your turn signal a hundred feet prior to executing a turn or like minor traffic infractions. I see that a lot. These are bullshit. These are so annoying, and they're so hard to prove,
0: and they're so hard to litigate, truly. is it just you have to fight the like the basis for the stop. You have to fight, you know, usually the officer's credibility. Um, I mean, that was, you know, the gist of a case I just handled. And and it was a huge battle that I didn't win.
1: Tell me about it. What was, was it just like a traffic infraction that they were stopped for?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then it turned into, you know, a search of a vehicle and then it became a suppression issue. And you, then you get into more complicated things of like, what amounts to reasonable or articulable suspicion, what amounts to probable cause, and some of the case law, depending on where you live, is also extremely difficult on that. And you know, when I was in law school, we learned a lot about these areas called like high crime areas and how there's case law around allowing you know you get you meet that threshold if there's especially if you're in a high crime area, which I would also point out is probably um, a community that is socioeconomically disadvantaged. So um, that's also a very interesting component. It's like what a high high crime component or a high crime area has a poverty component as well, typically. And so just all of the themes that we've just stated come back to pretext stops too because it just becomes a fishing expedition that they're looking for something and they're trying to find a reason to actually stop someone.
2: Can I ask a question? Yeah. So you guys mentioned... Challenging the officer's credibility. Yeah. Is that something either one of you have had to do like with an officer in the room? Yes. What is that like?
0: <laughs> well... Have you like I... cross-examined an officer, Addie? Several. Um, In my... You know, I think there's different ways to do it. You know, challenging... I think usually when you want to challenge anyone's credibility, you're trying to impeach them, right? So... More often than not, you you could impeach them. So, um, prior inconsistent statements, showing evidence of, you know, dishonesty, something like that. Maybe you cross, you try to challenge their credibility with the testimony of other law enforcement officers that were on scene. I haven't perfected that. And I think that that's a very difficult thing. And I think challenging police officers is kind of some hot water sometimes because. You know, more often than not, when you are involved, when you're in a case, there's more than one officer that's involved in the case. So you have, it, it can get a little sticky. Um, but, and police officers, they're very good on the stand. Um, you know, they learn, that a, a big part of my understanding of their job is they are taught how to do aspects of their job that make it easier for you know, they're taught how to write police reports. They're taught how to, I think they probably get some instruction on how to testify. I don't know. I'm not a police officer. Yeah, it's hard to challenge a police officer. Cross examining cops is difficult um, and they can be ambiguous on the stand. They can be just, you know, hard to get to them saying what you want them to say in terms of the case you're trying to make or the argument you're trying to make, especially if you're trying to point out that you think they did something nefarious. it's a little bit it's it's hard. What about you Kayla? How many I'm sure you've cross-examined cops? Well, what I was gonna ask Addie
1: was do cops in your community wear body cams?
0: Uh, yes and no. So we have several different law enforcement agencies. Um, the state troopers they do not. I think they might have a few off I think maybe a couple of them do, but I haven't had a state trooper case that I can r- recall off the top of my head, where there was a body cam. They have dash cameras on their patrol car or their squad car. But I haven't seen, I don't know if a state trooper has any body camera cameras in the, any of the cases I have with them. Sheriff's office do. Um, both of the cities, uh, the cities that I work with, I think all of their officers wear body cams. Um, and then, you know, their police cars should have a dash cam. I've had a couple of cases where dash cams haven't worked but and they also should have a camera in the back of you know there's several cameras that are usually involved in a case like when you get a pack of discovery or evidence there's several cameras especially you know in a traffic stop for example that you're kind of looking at you're looking at the dash camera you're looking at the body camera you're looking at the back of the uh the camera that's in the car that's focused on the back seat there's several things that you're you're looking at. So. Um, and then you also have maybe you have seven officers in your case. And at first you only get a batch of like three of the officer's body cameras and you have to go through all of the body cameras and figure out which ones you're missing and try to identify like to which officer that belongs to. So,
1: you know, I guess when I'm thinking about like memorable times when I have been concerned about an officer's credibility, the two instances that come to my mind didn't involve cross-examination. I remember there was this one officer who tried to say that he could smell meth coming out of somebody's pores, like a dog or something. Like he could smell (laughs) the meth coming from his, from his sweat. I don't know. I'm like, that's incredible.
0: Yeah, just are, you, are you post-certified that? on spelling? tests? <laughs> a canine so, sir? Yes. so funny.
1: And so I went through like the whole drug recognition expert manual to try to find like yeah. anything in there. I'm like, weird. There's no, um, there's no training. There's no scientific. Like there, there's no kind of mention in there that that's an indicator. Right? It's bullshit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the other instance that I can think of was, I mean, to be fair, I guess like there may have been something on the body cam that I just couldn't see, but I I remember this cop had said that he saw these people trespassing in a specific place oh, and yeah. you watch the body cam and you don't see them there.
0: I think I remember you telling me about the case after you were up, as you were working it, and it just was like... Because you were wanting just like, what do you do when there's no body cam? I remember you talking to me about that. Yeah, I was, like, girl, I was I don't shocked know. That,
1: yeah, it's it's amazing. I am so thankful that we have body cam for our police department. It's a real game changer.
0: Yeah, for sure. In your state, you were talking about pretextual stops. Yeah. In your state, what was the issue that you were having with, with them in, in Washington?
1: So the standard, so what you have to, prove or what you have to overcome, I guess, is that the the traffic infraction had to have been an actual conscious and independent cause of the stop. Hmm. But mixed motive stops are okay. So it's like if even if the yeah. cop actually right suspected you were a drug dealer insofar as they can show that the traffic stop was actual conscious and independent, right? The traffic yeah. infraction was the cause, then it's fine. So I'm just, think, try, I'm just having a hard time like how to how to fight that.
0: That's hard. And I think that what I was looking for, I think that that like, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's like all of those decisions that have like adopted, like you can continue, like you can have other purposes, but there has to be like a lawful basis for the stop. I think those are all like codified after the run decision, if I'm not mistaken. And it's hard.
2: The what decision?
0: The Wren decision. It's a supreme. I think it was a Supreme Court decision. My understanding is there just has to be like a lawful basis for the stop, and then it, you know, if even if you're going, you don't investigating to other stuff. There has to be like a a, a lawful like traffic violation for the stop or something like that. But Kayla, you're giving me a look like maybe that's wrong. So like, no, no, that's probably
1: right. I mean, I think that you can still try to fight it. I think you could still yeah. try to make an argument that even though like yeah, they didn't turn their turn signal on, like that still wasn't the actual reason that you stopped them. And it's not like it had any kind of impact on community safety or like your, you know, desire to enforce the traffic code. It's just like a really tough argument to make insofar as there is actually some like lawful basis for the stop.
0: The thing that I've been thinking about lately with pretextual stops is new cars have that thing in their... Like uh, turn signals in your lane, in your indicator, if you just barely tap it, it only does like three flashes just for a lane change, right? And I have several times where, you know, depending on the model of your car, if you just barely tap it, it just does like the three flashes just for if you're going to be lane changing. Hmm. And sometimes, like I've tapped it, and it, I just feel like you know, then maybe it does those three links before i fully merge over and change lanes and i'm like okay like if a cop actually had a reason to suspect me of something would i get pulled over for this and my answer is probably maybe you know i don't know like if i was in my lane and i tap it and you know maybe i'm having to like change speeds i'm like doing my check and i haven't fully gone over I'm sure the three flashes have come and gone by the time I'm actually in the other lane. And I'm sure that that is technically a traffic offense. That's very dangerous, Addie. Yeah. And so that's a thought that I've had lately that I think might eventually be something interesting because it's just a little tap. So I think it's designed so that people don't have to like turn it off after, but it's just like, you know, it barely, some of the cars, I think most of the, I think BMWs have it some of the certain makes and models have that feature mm. so it was a thought I had and it was kind of something I was thinking about especially after we were talking about pre stuff where I've just been like okay you know what are the things I do in my normal day-to-day that I could get pulled over for oh I'm sure we
1: all do yeah 100% right? if they wanted to they'll find something
0: right If they have, and you know, who who knows what other basis of suspicion, that's a whole other problem is like what they're actually suspecting of you otherwise and why they're suspecting you of that and what their other intent is. But that's kind of the other side of the issue, right? Like you have the issue of why they're pulling you over for the traffic violation. And then you have the issue as to what their actually, their main motive is. and, And if that's like justified, if there's actual reasonable or articulable suspicion of the other thing.
1: Off topic, but I was just yeah. wondering do Do you get many prostitution cases in your do community? Get many prostitution cases? <laughs> yeah. Hold on.
2: What's What's the link here? I'm just here? wondering.
1: Like, what there's made you think really of that? there's okay. Well, I'll I'll share. I was just thinking about a case um, where <laughs> I think my client was riding with a girl in his car, and I remember the cop. He, he suspected that they were, you know, she was involved in sex work and he was like talking about what she was wearing and like her boots and stuff and just like trying to say that, that, Profiler, you know, indif- yeah. exactly. I just, I don't know. It just made me think of that. I was just wondering if you have any of those cases.
0: I, well, I personally don't have, I haven't had any. I'm sure that our office has had them. You know, I live on the border or I work on the border of, all of the stereotypes and you know i'm gonna also buffer this the stereotypes of just like you know prostitution or any type of like maybe human trafficking living in a in a border town i do so we have you know a pretty big you know alleged drug corridor um and so i'm just because you know from washington to montana you go right through those weed carts man that marijuana just coming through i'm assuming that we've had those cases in the office i haven't had any and i'm assuming that like that you make a good point like what is the reasonable articulable suspicion for a prostitution case Right. like just looking at someone and being like hey based like, on what rude. i yes and it's like based on my knowledge of this you look like you and <laughs> i don't know <laughs> you make thought a really it was good point. so funny. I think yeah. you did say
1: like in my experience that
0: I was based on my training and experience. So you're taught how to profile people is what you're telling me. Like, oh my god. Oh man. So um, silly. It's so silly and awful, but silly. Well, on that note, do you have any like closing thoughts, Addie? Closing thoughts. Um I think it's important for just, like, kind of where I'm at with my, like, workload and kind of, you know, the frustrations that I've had and just, like, you know, the things that I, I think if I really think about the world I live in and then think about the work that I do, I think it's really important to, like, stay vigilant in, in caring instead of just kind of shutting it off and not, like, wanting to engage with the prosecutor who's upset me or, like, wanting to fight the stupid fights of like, oh, this cop did something that I think was dumb, but I don't know if we can win it. Like, I don't want to like get to that point where I think that it's easy to get to and just kind of dissociating and just like, you know, doing the easier route of of, of work because the work is so hard. And it's like, sometimes you just got to work extra hard at the things that are hard. And so I think my closing thought is that, like, you know, for people who don't do this work, like, you should really care about the things that are happening in your community in terms of people that are being affected by the carceral state. But for people who do the, do this work or are interested in it, like you should also care about the, the parts of it that are hard. Like be aware of, you know, the people that you elect into positions of power and, and go sit in a courtroom and watch them interact with people and like see what a district attorney is like. Like those are It's important to know how these people operate it's important to know how this like actually plays out. And I just wish some more people who weren't fully involved in this like system because they're in it actually saw how it played out and got to kind of work, witness some of the behind the scenes things that are petty and difficult because I think it would, that would maybe it it actually cultivate some change. Right. And and some accountability, especially if they say that they're community servants. I don't know, that's kind of a word vomit thought, but something I've really thought about. And then also just, you know, closing thoughts as far as the podcast, my beer was amazing. So it felt like that. So that's a a fucking win. Sometimes you just have to take them. And um, I'm excited for what we dive into next. Um, Pre-text stops are always going to be something that I think people will litigate in some form or another for the rest of time it's just something that will be you know challenged to some level within the stop always what about you Kayla what are your closing thoughts really
1: well said Addie i i completely agree with you that i wish that more people saw what goes on yeah it's really depressing and the more that i learn about poverty I just finished this book called um, Poverty by America by, I think, Matthew Desmond. He wrote that book, Evicted, about the housing crisis. Right. Um, But anyway, it's just so depressing. Just like what people have to go through, you know, waiting at the welfare office. Just like there's just so many hoops that people have to jump through and the barriers are endless and... People are really just kind of set up to fail, and oh, it's a real gosh. shame that we just I, want to put poor people in jail. It's fucking disgusting.
0: I watched a brutal sentencing today. I'm sorry, I'm jumping in on this thought. That no, should please. have been on. That should have been on my padded thought. I watched a judge impose a sentence on a case that I wasn't involved in, but I was just sitting in the courtroom. And I, I'm sick of feeling like I'm watching people get sentences that are that, that are designed to set them up for failure. Like if they have unrealistic amounts of community service hours that they have to do in a certain amount of time or a ridiculous amount of sheriff's labor program, which is like hard work in a certain amount of time. In freaking Idaho? In Idaho, in the winter, I just, you know, Northern Idaho. So I was sitting there and, you know, in this person's case that I was watching, it seemed like the alternative was pretty serious. It was, you know, Comply with these really stringent portions of probation, and to the judge's credit, I think the judge was trying to give you know more time for some of these requirements. But still, like that is asking a lot, and I feel like it sometimes just sets people up for failure. And the alternative was you know prison, I guess. And so it's like, of course, people are going to feel like they're getting a good deal when the when the alternative is so massive, right? But the actual expectations of what is asked of them are oftentimes infeasible and impossible considering the circumstances that they just live in and And then when they they fail they'll get sent to jail yes and they have to pay to do their community service hours because you have to pay like liability insurance and I think you also have to pay to do sheriff's labor program yes you have Hmm. it's small but I think that it costs you when you report order to do community service hours and sheriff's labor program, I think you have to um, pay to do that. So there's just, you know, there's a monetary aspect at every single turn. And then if you set up a payment program, my understanding is that there's like actual fees associated with that too. It's not just like the actual amount of your fine. Like I think if you do a payment program and I could be totally wrong because I've never done one, but I think that if you have a payment program that it actually might be more expensive in, in the in the long run but I could be wrong.
1: Well, I guess these defendants need to just start riding their bikes and stop buying avocado toast and maybe they won't have these problems.
0: Right, right? now or, you know, whatever, whatever thing you can on. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah,
1: so. It's really depressing. Sorry, guys, to end on that note, but it is <laughs> something important, I think, to to remember. Like right. so many people in our communities are really suffering. You know, people
0: shouldn't be getting criminal charges just because they can't pay for things.
1: And people every day are being put in jail for that exact reason. Right, America, baby. Yeah. So cheers, Clark, you guys. Oh yeah.
0: Clark, <laughs> please, no, Clark please bring it around. Okay, take yeah. her <laughs> shit. My emo, I just it. really, really you in look it. Like a from Pretty Little Liars. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <black black> <laughs>
2: oh, that's such Love a good that. Show.
0: <laughs> oh God That's I even know about so the long.
2: show. Um, no, I think you guys are nailing it on the head that you know essentially what we have to do is a lot of unlearning and relearning as a society Yeah that there's more than just one people group in our society and more than one people group that makes up our society. And there are many people groups that make up our society that deal with things that we or a lot of people groups don't deal with. Yeah. My people group included. I think what you guys are driving home is that like, you know, outside of a public criminal defense attorney's perspective is like, if this comes back to a societal issue. And it starts with empathy and it starts with, um, realizing that like there are so many stories that are happening every second of the day, whether we like it or not. And there's there's things that people are facing that we may not be able to fathom, but it's their reality. Yeah. The only thing that's going to help save them is if there is someone who's like yourselves, who's informed and empathetic and will help save them from potentially an undeserved punishment or judgment right it seems like a double-edged sword right you know first there's no chance in society and then there's no justice to help protect him. you know as as an outsider looking in on the legal system it's just like yeah like i i feel like i do my best as i can to empathize and to speak on behalf or be an ally for those who maybe aren't spoken for enough But then you guys are doing like the work for those who are being put in situations that they just literally cannot get out of on their own.
0: Right. And if they try to work on it themselves, like keep in mind too that people in these circumstances like can't advocate for themselves because if they're facing criminal charges, like, you know, obviously they get to choose whether or not they want to have a lawyer. But if they try to say something, it could potentially harm them further. And that is a very vulnerable place but I just it's hard to so thank you for acknowledging that and yeah I think that's the thing of like the, the theme Kayla Clark hit it the nail on the head of just you know there's so many layers and and just social structures at play in our day-to-day and we're just kind of having to be the jack of all trades in navigating and walking the lines of that this job entails and so um closing thought is take care of yourself getting back in the saddle because it's a hard one to ride. Buckle up, baby. And uh, until next time. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.